Hi kids, Space Ghost here. You're listening to Riley and Kimmy on the Riley and Kimmy Show. It's Riley and Kimmy time. It's Riley and Kimmy time. It's Riley and Kimmy time. They do not like my rhyme. It's Riley and Kimmy time. It's Riley and Kimmy time. It's Riley and Kimmy time. Screw it, I'm done. No, he's not done. He's going to be in Deland, Florida. More details coming up. That's George Lowe, the voice of Space Ghost. Right next to me is... Janet! I got one name. Janet! Hi, I am your host, Patrick Riley. Quite a good scene, isn't it? One man crazy, three very sane spectators. That's right, the sane ones right around me and behind me, the two fur kids, and then Kimmy to my one side. Yes, you have found the place for pop culture discussion, a variety nerd talk show that happens every single day. They play nothing but rotten junk on that program. Oh, that's not true. Uh, None at all, right, Kimmy? Right. (laughs) Not at all. Matter of fact, this program isn't rotten at all. You can find all kinds of nerdy kind of things. Uh, Check out our website, Facebook page, and other social media for uh, recent interviews. Uh, We have really some fun things that have uh, been happening uh, recently. Uh, Just uh, before this episode, before episode... 1107, uh, well, actually before, let's see, we're not, I am, Kimmy, there are so many right here, I am, I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, before, <laughs> before this episode, on episode, let's see, number 1107, it's Butch Patrick, and you know Butch, he's a uh, part of the show, He uh, he's famous for playing Eddie Munster, and we talked to him for a little bit, and also, by the way, he talks about the TV show that he did in the 1970s called Lidsville. How's that for a topper? <laughs> All right, Kimmy, can you tell me who that voice is right at the very end there? Can you do it? He was one of the major... Celebrities on Match Game. Oh, Charles Nelson Riley. That's right. That's Charles Nelson Riley. He played the bad guy in Lidsville with Butch Patrick. Um, you know that's that that groovy tune there. I would love to hear outdated slang. Katie Roberts and Ter- Terry Moore sing that one and do their version of it. Hmm. I mean, couldn't wouldn't that be kind of really groovy? Don't you think? Hmm. Now, have you ever seen Lidsville? Did you watch Lidsville as a kid at no. all? No. No. You don't remember Lidsville no. at all? Well, you know, it is definitely trippy uh, of, I think, all of that, uh, you know, the H&R Puffin stuff, Bugaloos, those. This one's really, really, like, way out there. Sounds like that from from the I mean, theme it, song. I mean, it is wow. it, way out there, and they were actually using some advanced video technology to make this show happen with some special effects, which Butch does talk about. On the interview in uh, 1107, you can find that on podcast 1107, uh, we have a sample of the opening on our Facebook page. You can see that. Just uh, check it out. We posted it as a way back Wednesday moment uh, for those who aren't familiar with it. And that's one of the reasons I kind of want to highlight that is because Butch Patrick has done more than just the Munsters. And he's acting a lot of things. And he talks about one of the most difficult roles he had. We ask him that question, and he talks about that. On the interview, and you can find out what he collects, what he loves, things like that. That's all available on podcast number 1107. And by the way, he will be at the Deland Comic and Collectible Show coming up this Sunday. You'll be able to meet Butch Patrick starting at 10 o'clock. Please tell your friends this is a very, very affordable show. It is only $5 to get in with free parking. And then somebody else who will be at the Deland Comic and Collectible Show, we talked to, matter of fact, we have him. Part of the those archived great uh, celebrity episodes on our Facebook page and other social media and website. What you drawing? Damn, that's good. Yo, you're a you're a real good drawer. He is a very good drawer, and that is John Beatty, known for his work with DC and Marvel. He talks about comic books, certain characters he loves, and also collecting. John talks about a wide range of things as well, including conventions. And you'll be able to hear his detailed interview with the Riley and Kimmy show. That's on podcast number 1108. And John is appearing. He's a special guest at the 
the Land comic and collectible show with some other fantastic artists like Clay Mann and Tommy Castillo. Yes, you can see them just for $5 through the door. That's right, $5 admission for adults, free parking. That's the Deland Comic and Collectible Show, which is happening this Sunday in Deland, Florida. And then we travel on an interview to a wonderful world. The wonderful world of Disney. What we do on that interview, it's uh, number 1,095 as we talk to Jeff Dixon, who is probably one of the biggest, uh, uh, maybe he's an unofficial expert, but to me he is the expert on Disney, Disney trivia, Walt Disney World, and man, he, he can even cover Disneyland. Uh, he's a big Disney collector. Matter of fact, he's an author of Disney fantasy adventure mystery books. Yes, they're, they're set at Walt Disney World, and... Really cool thing. He's got four of them set right there. Matter of fact, he even has a nonfiction book about Disney as well. We talked to him. He is appearing at the Deland Comic and Collectible Show. That is this Sunday. You might want to check out that interview ahead of time, but definitely meet him. He'll have books there available. He will be signing. And then, of course, we have a video interview. If you even go deeper into our our website, you can find more. Uh, we have a recent video interview of George. Low, the voice of Space Ghost, who will be appearing at the Deland Comic and Collectibles Show. Uh, for Throwback Thursday, on our Facebook page, we have the interview with George at uh, a recent appearance at Smash Comics and Games in Sanford, Florida. And he talks about his upcoming appearance at the Deland Comic and Collectibles Show. So be sure to check that out. It's fun. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. It, it? It really, it really is. Oh yes. Yes, and George Lowe will be appearing. That's right. Five dollars just to get into, you know, meet George. Five dollars mm-hmm. for adults. Yeah. And free parking. Be sure to tell your friends who are in Florida. Tell them about this event. It's very easy to get to. It's conveniently located between Daytona Beach and Orlando, Florida. We have all those interviews available right on our website and, and also social media and links to the social media is all available on our website. And what is our web address, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com. Kimmy, would you like to play nerd and pop culture geek trivia on this uh, Thursday, throwback Thursday? Of course I would. It's time for nerd and pop culture geek trivia, a little segment we do here from time to time on the Riley and Kimmy show. Now, Kimmy, Tell you what we have here for you as a deal. You get more of these right than wrong. We'll put on the line here. We will pick up a collectible for you at the D-Land comic and collectible show if you get more right than wrong. All right. What do you think about that? All right. Okay. That means you got to get more than right than wrong, and you'll give yourself a collectible of your choosing. I won't choose it. Yay. Yes, you get to choose it. It could be anything. It could be also a beautiful piece of art from many talented local artists who will be appearing at the Deland Comic and Collectible Show who will be sketching and also having prints and posters available as well. Or maybe it'll be that certain lunchbox you're looking for. Or maybe it'll be something from Butch Patrick's Table or from George Lowe, the voice of Space Ghost. Who knows what you will grab. But that it all depends on if you get more of these right and the wrong. So please, if you're out there, matter of fact, you'll be to our future right now. Uh, feel free to shout out answers to Kimmy. Help her out. We believe in time travel here. We believe in a time vortex helping Kimmy in the world of nerd and pop culture geek trivia. Shout that answer out. It won't look strange at all to be yelling at your smartphone, your tablet, your laptop, your desktop. Yeah, it won't look strange at all. Just uh, participate here in fun. Here we go, Kimmy. It is a Thursday, a throwback Thursday time for nerd and pop culture geek trivia. It was on this date, Kimmy. It was on this date a certain television show made its debut. Our question for you is identify the TV show with this soundbite. Hello. All right, Kimmy, what was the name of the TV show? Mr. Ed. That's right. Mr. Ed debuted on this date in history. We're going to ask you the year within, I'm going to give you a range here, five years. Think about it for a second. Five years is your buffer. When did Mr. Ed debut? Hello, I'm Mr. Red. A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course. That is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Red. Go right to the source and ask the horse. He'll give you the answer that you endorse. He's always on a steady course. Talk to Mr. Red. 
Okay, Kimmy, you had time to think about it. What What is the year? What is the year Mr. Ed made his debut on television? 1962? You made it within the five. Matter of fact, very close. 1961, Mr. Ed made the debut to television. Now, tell me, how many years was Mr. Ed on TV in original runs? You know, it would go to syndication. Four. Mr. Ed was on television for six years with original shows. Okay. Can you tell me the person who played his owner? Or the name of the character? Alan Young? Oh, I would see. I, now I don't even have to ask you the name. I was going to give you just if you could name the name of the character. because Ed Wilbur. Uh, yeah, that's right. So you're doing quite well. Mr. I take it you were a fan of Mr. Ed. Of course. Even though you weren't on planet Earth when Mr. Ed was originally on. Right. You, you must have discovered him like on WGN or something mm-hmm. they ran. So because you liked horses, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Mr. Ed is a favorite of Kimmy's. Kimmy was on this date in history... See if you can do this one. We will give you a 10-year buffer, plus or minus. It was on this date in history. The Federal Communications Commission, otherwise known as the FCC, got its very first demonstration of... Within 10 years, Kimmy was on this date. The FCC got its very first demonstration of FM radio. Give me the year. Oh, 1937. See, you're smart because <laughs> she's listened to the Riley and Kimmy show for the past. It was 1940 when that happened, but uh, FM would not become mainstream till really a long time after World War II. World War II kind of de- uh, delayed it from being uh, commercialized, but it took a long period of time. So... I bet even as a kid, you probably at first listened to AM radio for mm-hmm. music before FM right. was a thing. Yes. Correct? Yes. And then your parents stuck to the AM, didn't they? Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to do FM. Yep. Not going to do it. I like the static. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I worked at a very, matter of fact, the most powerful uh, commercial FM in a certain state. And... I remember receiving a memo, and this was, uh, I was the morning show host, and I was very young. And my former mentor from years before at another radio station, he and I were rivals. And the cool thing is I beat him in the ratings by one-tenth of a point. And in the marketplace, we both basically had 90-plus percent, combined 90-plus percent of a huge population. And this memo went out after the ratings, and they let, they're like, now keep in mind the time frame. We're talking like late 80s, Okay. And the memo went up and said, we believe it might be time to start paying attention to FM. It might have a future over AM. Hmm. I have that memo somewhere. It's like, uh, hello, wake mm. up. <laughs> where, where, where have you been? Okay, moving back to the almanac. It was on this date, Kimmy. The year I would like to, well, I'll tell you what, give me the decade. We'll do that with you because it's a little bit more fair. And tell me the location that this occurred state is okay city if you really want to do it but state is okay construction of the golden gate bridge began on this date san francisco that's correct now give me the decade that that happened okay within 10 years if you want so you can cross decades that way oh that's why i'm giving you an opportunity um 1915 what year? 1915? No, Kimmy. It was 1933 that the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge occurred. It was on this date. Now, by the way, in case I didn't point this out, yeah, shame on me, I forgot, that this this uh, almanac's not necessarily chronological. It's not necessarily linear. It's all over the place, possibly, or maybe not. Example, the next question could be 1934, or it could be 2016. Who knows? Or it could be, you know, one. <laughs> so here we go, Kimmy. It was reported in an Austrian newspaper the discovery of a, well, basically it became known as X-rays. When did X-rays get discovered? Within 50 years. 1880. You got it. Very close, actually. I didn't need that 50-year buffer there for you. It was 1896 when that occurred. That's when x-rays were identified. So on this date, give me 1914, the Ford Motor Company announced there would be a new daily minimum wage and an eight-hour workday. 
Now tell me how much that daily minimum wage was. The year is 1914. This is for Ford um, Motor Company, not nationwide, not 50 other. 50 cents. That's interesting. Ford Motor Company announced that there would be a new daily minimum wage of $5. Oh, a daily wage. Don't cover that. You you knew I said daily. No. No, you're trying to cover yourself. I thought it was hourly. No, she did not. Don't listen to her there. She she was, no, Kimmy. Nuh-uh. We're not uh-huh. accepting that. We're not accepting uh-huh. that. One. I stressed daily and, and you know. No, no, no. <laughs> I stress daily on that. $5 is extremely good in 1914 uh, monies. I mean, that was a very decent wage mm-hmm. at that time frame. 50 cents, you thought. That's close. It'd be, it'd be $4 a day. Kimmy, you totally said 50 cents for the day. <laughs> yes, you did. Mm-mm. We're taking a negative. I we're meant pu- hour. We're putting a red mark there in the nope. column here. So we're, we, no, collectible might not go... In your hands. We don't know here. You're still on the plus side, I think, here. We haven't tallied. So on this date, Kimmy, 1934, both the National and American Leagues decided to use a uniform size baseball. It was the first time in 33 years both leagues used the same size ball. Did you know they used different size? No, I did not. Well, see what what you find out when you listen to the Riley and Kimmy show? Mm -hmm. Now, if you really pay attention to the Riley and Kimmy show, you will know daily and hourly. You, You will be able to figure that out. So pay attention, okay? Well, most of the time people talk about an hourly wage. Oh, now she's getting defensive. Okay. Back. Back. We don't talk in terms of daily wages. Well, if we pay attention here, we'll we'll hear daily when daily is said more than once. Okay, moving over to something else that happened on this day, 1944. The London Daily Mail was the first trans-oceanic newspaper to be published. It was 1956, Kimmy. Are you paying attention here? Mm -hmm. 1956, Kimmy. We're going to talk about a comic strip. 1956, in this comic strip. It was 1956 in the Peanuts comic strip. This character walked on two legs for the first time. Now, think carefully. 1956. This character walks... On two legs for the very first time. Snoopy? Are you sure it's not Sally? Maybe baby Sally? Snoopy. You, you're going to stick with... Snoopy. It's not Linus? Snoopy. You sure it's not baby Linus? Snoopy. You're going to stay with Snoopy? You really think it's Snoopy? Mm-hmm. Kimmy, you know your peanuts. It was Snoopy, 1956. Or as little Kimmy said, Snoopy. <laughs> I think we have audio of that somewhere. Yeah. Actually, we do because we have those recordings Snoopy. where you really. I, I, I think. Do you want me to find that sometime? Maybe oh, we'll share. All right, maybe we'll share that. I think we do because we. Your father was an audiophile and recorded on high, high quality. Uh, yep, that's me. Uh, every every uh, program at the beginning. That's true. That's uh, actually me saying. Uh, at, I got one name, Kimmy. Yes, that, that's Kimmy who said that when she was very little. Her father, as I stated, was a uh, an audiophile and recorded things on. On very high quality reel to reels tapes, and I. He was trying to tell me my first, middle, and last name, and I wouldn't accept it. No, you. you nope. No, you, you. You wouldn't. You were difficult, just like you are with me, and daily, and hourly. Yeah. Same thing. See, he. I should have. I should have realized that when I listened to those tapes from way, yeah. way back when. Kimmy was on this date in history. All my children premieres on television. Tell me the name of the network and give me the year it premieres within five years. ABC. Yes. 1970. Exactly right. Woo. 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 Two right there. That makes up for that hourly uh, daily Woo-hoo. debacle of yours. Wow. Did you ever watch that show? No. Did anybody in your household ever watch that show? No. Did any of your friends ever watch that show? No. So you didn't have all my children groupies. If you remember back to like probably about the mid-80s, that show really had heat to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people were really into that show. I don't know why. I have no idea what was going on at the time. But Mm-mm. So on this date, Kimmy, give me the year this president orders the development of the space shuttle, or you can tell me the name of the president. Let's do that. You Ronald t- Reagan. Let's re-ask the question. This president orders the development of the space shuttle. Who uh, are you going to choose here? Means creating it. Make plans to build it. 
Oh, um, that would probably be Nixon. That's correct. Nixon did that. Signed 1972 orders to develop the space shuttle. Okay. And it was actually probably, uh, from what I remember in reading NASA history, we'd have to talk to our space expert, which is Mark Mayhew. Um, it was actually while Apollo was going on, they were talking about the shuttle being the next project, um, which was actually supposed to be a more developed spacecraft than what we saw. It was actually supposed to be powered flight on its own and be able to land with powered flight. It could land anywhere at that time. The original developments in the world, it wasn't limited where it could land. Uh, there's some great, there's great books about that a little bit. Uh, it's covered with Deke Slayton, who was one of the uh, original, matter of fact, he was original uh, Mercury 7 astronauts, and he was part of the uh, the Apollo Soyuz mission and was part of uh, all the launches uh, on ground, that is. He was part of it, of all the, the launches of Gemini and Apollo. He talks about that development. Maybe we'll check in with our science expert sometime in the near future about that and other things. It was on this date, Kimmy Prince made his solo performance debut in Minneapolis, Minnesota within two years. When did that happen? Um, 1977. You're very close. 1978, Prince made his solo performance debut. Also, same uh, year, same time, 1978, the Sex Pistols. Their U.S. concert debut took place. Did you ever see them perform? No. Do you have any of their vinyl? No. All right. Moving over to notable birthdays on this date. See if you can identify who this person is, Kimmy. Born on this date, 1914. He is best known for portraying Clark Kent, Superman, in the 1950s television program, Adventures of Superman. Who is he? George Reeves. Hi, boys and gals. There can only be one Superman, of course. Did you ever think about some of the super things that you can do for yourself? Well, like saving up the money for your own vacation or for that new bike that you wanted so much. Well, all you have to do is just put away part of your allowance or your odd job money and put it in United States saving stamps at school. Those dimes, quarters, and dollars add up mighty fast, especially when you buy them every week on stamp day. Well, the first thing you know, you'll have enough for a savings bond. Just like Dad buys for the payroll savings at work. And from then on, the sky's the limit. Take it from Superman. Your mom and dad will be plenty proud of you if you're learning to save regularly. And the teachers are on your team, too. They make sure of having savings stamps at school for you to buy and remind you when it is stamp day. And so, boys and girls, be super citizens and have a super future by saving regularly with United States savings stamps at school. And keep on making me and everyone else as proud of you as we are today. Little throwback moment there with George Reeves and uh, his uh, Clark Kent Superman doing a little public service. Mm -hmm. And Kimmy, question for you. Do you think it was suicide or was it murder? Mm. I have a suspicion it might have been murder. Okay. And what year hmm. was his death? Within two Um, 1966? 1959. He passed away at the age of 45. Wow. And yes, there was the movie with Ben Affleck that was done, um, which I can't, Hollywood Land, was that it? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, where he plays George Reeves. I, I personally don't like that movie overall. I like his portrayal of George Reeves. But there's elements of it I, I think they left out, and they, they focused on the character of the detective a little too much, way too much yes. for me. Um, the book Hollywood, let's see, Hollywood Kryptonite, I believe is its name. Uh, it's in my, my, my library. Uh, that movie used some of it, elements. I think it, it is a, uh, a must-read if you want to find out more about George Reese. Others will say, well, what's in there is, is, is a bunch of hooey, but... Uh, I think there's a lot of credibility to that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the movie does have, plays out some of the scenarios that, you know, but not all of them. And it, it taints, I don't want to say taints slants in a certain way, uh, but it might be a first choice to start looking at uh, some of George Reeves' history when it comes around that, uh, that death. Was it suicide or was it murder? Now, Kimmy, his film career began with what film it was a brief role but it was a big one tell me what was the movie he made his his debut in 
Gone with the Wind. That's right, 1939. Uh, he made his debut. Actually, he's in the opening scene mm. uh, of Gone with the Wind. And you know, he had one of the reasons he was a perfect choice for Superman is he had a near photographic memory. So when they would shoot Superman, they would shoot out of sync. They would shoot all the Perry White scenes that they could for as many of the series for that year they could at one in the office. Then they would shoot all the things for so they were jumping around when they were shooting stuff. Or they would shoot all his office scenes right there. Strange. I mean, I can't imagine coordinating all that stuff. Okay, I got to make sure that tie is exactly right. That person's wearing exactly this, and you know, it's mm. not like Gilligan, where Gilligan's wearing the same thing. If mm-hmm. you if you did something like that, it's it's very strange that, that they did that part. But uh, it was successful for him. They shot those those you know very quickly, and he 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 had a hard time finding work because of being identified with that. So at times he was actually digging ditches to stay physically fit mm. when the show was not on mm-hmm. it's very interesting and see that movie didn't deal with that stuff at all yeah you know, yeah there, there's a, a wide range of things that they they did not touch and also they didn't touch with the fact that he had uh he was he, he got directorship for superman they were going to bring superman back uh for 1959 going into 1960 he was going to direct episodes write episodes and he was also going to star in a film overseas and he had some things that were actually positive you know, for for mm-hmm. him, uh, for his outlook, you know, for the yeah. future. It wasn't like it was all over, yeah. which I don't know if the movie kind of portrays that or not. I can't exactly remember. This person and, having, well, go ahead. And Noel Neal, who um, unfortunately just passed away last year, we had met her um, several years ago, and, and she also believed the same thing, that um, it was murder. Yes, that's correct. Moving over to somebody else having a birthday. See if you can identify who this person is, this celebrity, an American actor and filmmaker. He has been nominated for seven Academy Awards, Kimmy. Got really known in a brief role. See if you can identify who he is because of that brief role. He played Boo Radley in To Kill a Mockingbird. Who is it? Oh, yeah. Um, I know. I know who that is. <laughs> I know who it is. Okay. And I can't think of it. Remember, your, your first time you see him really is when he's hiding behind the mm-hmm. the uh, door. Right. He plays Boo. Yep. Can you do it, Kimmy? I can't. Ooh. Robert Duvall. Yes, how Robert old, Duvall. How old is Robert Duvall within five years today? Um, 80. He, he, you didn't get this one. He's 86 today. Okay. By the way, Robert Duvall has been married four times. In 2004, Duvall married his fourth wife. Duvall is 41 years older than she is. Mm. Moving over to another notable. Having a birthday today, Diane Keaton having a birthday. How old is she within five? 78. She is 71, Kimmy. Okay. Don't like her, do you? No. Well, it, the answer would have been 88 if Kimmy didn't really care. She's like, <laughs> it's 80. That's my go-to. Yeah, yeah she's 88. <laughs> okay. This next actress having a birthday, American actress best known for playing two roles, Kimmy, on television. And see if you can identify the TV shows she is known for first. We have some audio clues here for you. Here's the first TV show she is known for. See if you can tell me what it is.
Secrets in the Mystery of the Haunted House. That's not the name of the show, Kimmy. It was tied to that show. We'll give you one more clue to our other series, but let's see if you can first tell me the name of the show that was tied with the Hardy Boys. Nancy Drew. That's right, Nancy Drew. Did you watch Nancy Drew? Uh-huh. Okay, and... I was going to use this as another clue, maze, because at the opening uh, title sequence, that's what they would have is they'd have that big maze you know, for the, uh, the thing. I didn't know if that would help you as well. Mm. Now, this actress was also in this TV series. See if you can identify the TV series. Okay, Kimmy, tell me the name of that primetime TV show this actress, this mystery actress, was part of. I don't know. She played Fallon Carrington Colby. Does that help? No. It was an ABC nighttime soap opera. It was a competitor to Dallas. Can you name it? Uh, Falcon's Crest? Oh, that's CBS. Come um, on. Come on. It was a big know. one on ABC. John Forsyth was a star. Dynasty? How did you pick up on that? Dynasty. Yes, she she portrayed Fallon on Dynasty from its debut in 1981 through its uh, fourth season in 1984. Now, she left on her own accord. The character was then uh, missing and presumed dead. The series recast the actress. They didn't have a new character. Do you know who took her place? This person was from General Hospital. No. Emma Sams took her place in the fifth season in 1985. And can you tell me who this mystery person is who was on Nancy Drew and also Dynasty? No. Who played Nancy Drew? Pam somebody. Pam somebody. Can you do it? Mm-mm. Pamela Sue Martin. Mm. Tell me how old Pamela Sue Martin is today. You have a five-year buffer. 55. She is 64 years old today. Moving over to somebody I won't ask you a single thing about. Voice talent, also actor. You can catch him in some things from time to time. Plays an excellent villain on camera and in voice as well. One of my favorite voiceover talents of all time. Having a birthday today. Clancy Brown having a birthday. He is 58 today. And in my opinion, he is the best Lex Luthor. You can find him in various Lex Luthor versions in multimedia, animation, and I would have loved to have seen and heard him as Lex Luthor in Batman vs. Superman. But they all involve deadly force, don't they? And you don't do that. No, you need me. You wouldn't be much of a hero without a villain, and you do love being a hero, don't you? The cheering children, the swooning women, you love it so much. It's made you my most reliable accomplice. You could have crushed me any time you wanted. And it wasn't the law or the will of the people that stopped you. It was your ego. Being a hero was too important to you. You're as much responsible for this as I am. So go ahead, fix it somehow. Put me on trial, lock me up, but I'll beat it. And then we'll start the whole thing all over again. Now that is a villain. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to have heard him and seen him in Superman, Mm -hmm. Batman versus Superman. I I just, you know, I mean, he's he's describing the character right there, Clancy Brown, 
as Lex Luthor describing why Superman doesn't just do away with him. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a cool thing. He also played Parallax, Kimmy's favorite villain in the movie Green Lantern. She didn't really care for the movie Green Lantern, but she sure did love Parallax. Oh, I love that part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's the cool part of that movie. Yeah. This person having a birthday today, Kimmy, tell me who it is. Singer, musician, made his film debut in the 1997 film Lost Highway, David Lynch's film. And he had Rose McGowan as his girlfriend at one time. Who is he? Marilyn Manson. That's right. How old is Marilyn Manson within five today? Uh... 54. Marilyn Manson is 47 years old today. Okay. Moving over to the other section of the acting column, because, you know, we got to have Marilyn in, in that as well as acting. Tell me who this is. He is one of the highest paid actors in the world. And he is the voice of Rocket Raccoon. Who is he? Um, Bradley Cooper. Oh, Kimmy, I hope there wasn't any hesitation there. You, you, you knew Rocket Raccoon is... You know, Bradley yeah. Cooper. Yeah. Okay. How old is Bradley Cooper within five years today? Uh, 44. Uh, Bradley Cooper is 42 years old today. Okay. Moving over to another section of the almanac. I see dead people. Celebrity and notable deaths. Passed away 1933. Calvin Coolidge passed away. Kimmy, tell me what Calvin Coolidge is known for. His big thing. What? Cal- Calvin Coolidge. He was a president. That, that's, that's right, Kimmy. He was the 30th president of the United States. This person officially declared dead on this date, 1939. An American aviator declared dead after her disappearance in 1937. Who is it? Amelia Earhart. That's right. And it was on this date, Kimmy. U.S. Representative Sonny Bono passed away at the age of 62 in a skiing accident. Give me the year within five years. That son, that Sonny Bono passed away. Um, 1986. He passed away in 1998. Remember, if uh, I don't have the exact details, but it was a skiing accident, went into a tree. Yeah. Remember, that's when he passed away. That wraps up the almanac. I think Kimmy did a reasonably good job. Would you like to put that on the line for the next uh, show for maybe even more collectibles at the Deland Comic and Collectible Show? Maybe. All right, we'll find out. That'll be the next episode of the Riley and Kimmy Show. Right now, we're going to honor something, focus on something. From the Almanac, from Nerd Trivia, with the Golden Age of Radio. Radio was new. Radio, someone still loves you. And that's a Riley and Kimmy show. Going back in time to something from the Almanac, uh, you know, I am surprised here, Kimmy. I chose this because I thought maybe you'd go, I don't know who that is. But Kimmy knew who Calvin Coolidge was and what he was known for. Well, we have something from the Golden Age of Radio that's quite unique. It was a, it's a strange type of biography that they did. It's kind of a mystery biography, but we're going to know going into this who it is. Uh, we have a, I'm going to say mystery biography of Calvin Coolidge. It's from 1947. One of the notable trivia things to this is the voice of Calvin Coolidge is Edward Arnold, fantastic actor. Uh, and an excellent read, just a beautiful read. I can listen to him uh, read the phone book. So he plays... Calvin Coolidge. So let's go back in time. It's a fun radio adaptation of, um, well, history, if you will. So let's go back in time and honor Calvin Coolidge on the golden age of radio with a show called Mr. President from 1947. Good evening. Sit down, won't you? Did you ever try any carpenter work around your house with another man's tools? Somehow you can't be sure the saw is sharp enough that the nails will go in true or that the result will be what you want. For a president doing a job with another president's cabinet is the same kind of a problem, as you'll see in tonight's story. Now, later on, of course, I'll tell you which president these events really happened to, but meanwhile, you may be able to guess. For three years, I'd been vice president. Then the president died, and I found myself having to work with men 
who had been in his cabinet, his friends, the men he had trusted. Uh, gentlemen, uh, gentlemen, I uh, suppose you've been wondering about the one empty chair at our table this morning? Well, it belongs, of course, to the Secretary of the Interior. He's usually late anyway, Mr. President. <laughs> well, he's not late this morning, Lewis. He isn't coming. The fact is, gentlemen, he has resigned. The Senate Investigating Committee, headed by Senator Franks, has discovered that the Secretary was involved in a major scandal. He's suspected of having accepted large bribes and... He's evidently guilty. Now, you all know that a Senate or House investigation committee is like a forest fire. It's hard to say which way the flames may jump next. If the investigating committee finds what it's looking for, that may light the spark that will consume this very administration. Uh, Mr. President. Yes, Storm. Are you implying that others of us here in this room might be involved with the Secretary of the Interior? No, Storm, I'm not. But since Senator Franks has found one cabinet officer who misused his office, he's naturally going to look closely at the rest of you. Let him look, Mr. President. He will, Lewis, whether we let him or not. Now, here's the point. Last night, the Secretary of the Interior begged me to help him to defend him. And I flatly refused. I insisted he resign at once, and he did. Well, Mr. President, are you personally convinced he's guilty? Yes, I am. In advance of a legal trial? Storm, I'm not trying to anticipate what a court of law will say about his guilt, but I am convinced he's guilty of misconduct in office. That's enough to disqualify him for the cabinet, isn't it? Well, yes, of course, but, uh, uh, Mr. President, what's your attitude toward the rest of us? Gentlemen, when I took office, I asked all of you to remain in the cabinet for the rest of this term. As long as there's no corruption or incompetence, I will retain all of you in the cabinet. That's all, gentlemen. Thank you. Good morning, Senator Franks. Oh, good morning, Harper. And it's a very good morning, isn't it? Get rid of the Secretary of the Interior. Now for the next step, Secretary of the Navy, Lewis. Senator Franks. Aren't you attacking the president pretty hard? What of it, Senator Harper? Well, you're not giving him time to act on his own account. Time, Senator, time. He's as weak a president as his late predecessor was. Why should we give him time? Now, uh, let me tell you what I've got in mind. <laughs> See that is, Miss Sarah. Mr. President, it's uh, Senator Harper. Oh, good. Come in, Fred. Come Hello, in. Mr. President. Good morning. Miss Sarah and I were just sitting down for a quick lunch, and Fred, won't you join us? Oh, yes, thank you. Will you sit here, Senator? Oh, thanks, Miss Sarah. And Mr. President, I just came from a meeting of the investigating committee. Senator Franks is presenting a resolution to the Senate this afternoon asking for the removal of Secretary of the Navy Lewis from the cabinet. Secretary Lewis? Mm -hmm. Lewis? Why, Fred? On the grounds that he was involved in the same corrupt scheme that the Secretary of the Interior was. Well, has she got any evidence against Lewis? Oh, there, there's no evidence that Lewis himself was corrupt, only that he was innocently involved in the scheme. Well, Senator Franks' point is that this makes him obviously incompetent to go on holding his job. Well, that resolution will pass the Senate, won't it? Senator Franks carries a lot of weight, you know. Yes, he certainly does, Mr. President. Mm -hmm. Well, well, Mr. President, aren't you glad to have this news? Well, I'd feel more faith in my cabinet if Lewis and Attorney General Storm were out of it, of course. I'm afraid that we don't see eye to eye on many of my policies and issues. After I talked to them the other morning, I'd hope they'd take the hint and resign. But they didn't. Well, this Senate resolution is a stronger hint. Exactly, Mr. President. Well, now, stop and think a moment, Fred. I'm committed to finishing this term the way the late president would have finished it with the men he picked to help him. That's what the people voted for. I may not like some of these cabinet officers, but I'm bound to go along with them. I'm not doing my own job. I'm finishing another man's job. Well, yes, I know, but nobody can blame you if you remove Lewis because of the Senate resolution, sir. Afraid if I jump at the chance to remove cabinet officers my predecessor appointed, unless I've got the best reason in the world, it'll look only as if I'm repudiating the platform on which I was elected vice president. Mr. President, there, there's a lot of danger in the way you're thinking about this. Maybe with a very little more time, I could get Lewis and Storm to resign of their own accord. But now Franks is making that impossible. But how, sir? The Senate resolution gives you a wonderful excuse to get rid of Lewis, at least. That's uh, just the contrary, Fred. It puts me in a bad position. If I fire them after the Senate resolution, it will look bad for the entire administration. Actually, the Senate resolution prevents me from getting rid of Lewis, or it will 
if the Senate actually passes it. Mr. President, the Senate has passed the resolution. Here's a copy of it. I was afraid of that, Miss Sarah. Have Secretary Lewis come to see me, will you please, at once? Down, Lewis, won't you? I'm very upset, sir. That Senate resolution. That's is... why I wanted to see you. I want you to know what I'm going to do about it. I think I ought to warn you, sir. I have no intention of resigning. I've got to protect myself. The only way I see to do that is wait until you remove me. Lewis, you misunderstand the situation. You remember what I told you to all of you in the cabinet? That I would not defend a guilty man, but that I would stand by you because you were appointed by my predecessor. I'm not guilty of anything, sir. Lewis, let me talk even more frankly than I have so far. I would not have selected you as my secretary of the Navy. Oh. Well, if you think I'm so No, bad, no, don't sir. get angry. Don't get angry. Just let me finish. It's plain sense, Lewis. Any president wants his cabinet to be made up of men he knows personally. You and I didn't know each other before we both met in Washington three years ago. True enough. Now but... I could use this Senate resolution as a pretext for asking for your resignation. But neither you nor I are entirely our own bosses in this situation. I've made up my mind to finish this term as my predecessor started it. Because that's what the people voted for. That's what binds us all, Lewis. I'm not going to ask you for your resignation. And I'm not going to remove you. I... I owe you an apology, Mr. President. I was sure you were going to let me go just to save your own skin with the Senate. I can't. What? I can't remove any cabinet officer under pressure from the Senate. The Senate is exceeding its authority when it tries to force my hand. Oh, I see. So I'm sending this message to the Senate tomorrow. It says simply that the removal of a cabinet officer is exclusively up to the President, not to the Senate. In short, this message means mind your own business. Then there's nothing to worry about, is there? Oh, yes, there is. There'll be a lot of pressure from public opinion for you to resign of your own accord. I'm not afraid of that, sir. I promise you I'll stick it out. All right, Lewis, but both of us had better realize... It's not going to be easy. Mr. President, Senator Franks to see you, Oh, sir. thank you, Miss Sarah. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning, Senator. I'll be at my desk if you want me, Mr. President. Very well, thank you, Miss Sarah. Well, Senator, how can I help you? I'll be quick and blunt, sir. I've come to protest the message you sent to the Senate yesterday... Refusing to acknowledge our resolution about Secretary Lewis. Senator, you know the Senate overstepped its authority. My message referred you to the Constitution. You're putting yourself in an impossible position, Mr. President. Yourself and the rest of us in our party. I can't help it, Senator. You're putting yourself and us in the position of defending men who are certainly incompetent. Maybe corrupt. Well, there's no evidence that Lewis is corrupt. Oh, good heavens, Mr. President. Must a man be a jailbird before you remove if him? If you try to force my hand, this Senator... This is fantastic. Look here. I don't want incompetent men in the cabinet any more than you do. But if I remove them for any but the very best reasons, I'm guilty of weakening the office I hold. But the people who elected us, Mr. President... I have two duties, Senator. One is to the office of President. It doesn't belong to me personally. It belongs to all the men who've been honored to hold it before me. And who'll hold it after me? The Constitution gave us certain powers. And I've got to defend them against anybody who attacks them. There's still a duty to the people who voted for us. You can't use those powers to keep incompetent men in office. You're forgetting... You're forgetting yourself, Senator, and you're forcing me to do things that I don't want to do. Do you realize that? I see only that there are men in the cabinet who don't belong there. I agree with you. But I can't get rid of them in only one way without seeming to repudiate the platform I was elected on. That's if they resign entirely of their own accord. I disagree with you entirely, Mr. President. I'm sorry for that. I'm going to keep after Lewis and Storm until they get out. I'm not going to wait until it pleases them. The more you attack them, Senator, the longer they'll stay. If they resign under your attacks, they might just as well admit every charge that's made against them. And they won't do that. We'll see, sir. We'll see. <laughs> say to the Senate, the Secretary Lewis, if not downright corrupt, at least knew of the corruption in the Interior Department and held his tongue. So far, the President has refused to heed the growing public demand for the removal from his cabinet of Secretary Lewis. <laughs> 
Iraq. Will the president tell the people why he retains a man of obvious incompetence? Why is he protecting him? Dreadful, Mr. President. There seems to be nothing the senator won't say. That's not the main thing, Miss Sarah. The main point still is how to get rid of Lewis without giving in to the Senate and without going back on my job. You could only put in your own men. That would be simple, Miss Sarah, in a world where everything was plain and logical, but it isn't. The result is it's made to look as if I'm defending dishonest men, when all I want to do is to get rid of them. That's what comes of having to finish another man's job. Mr. President, Secretary Lewis. Oh, thank you. Come in, Lewis. Well, what is it? I have a letter for you, sir. Oh? It's quite short. Will you read it? It's your resignation. And what made you decide on this? Senator Franks and public opinion are too strong for me, sir. I can't go on being accused of everything under the sun. Well, I thought you wanted to fight it out. I did. But there's a limit. Do you accept my resignation, sir? Yes, Lewis, I accept it. Thank you. Goodbye, Mr. President. Goodbye, Lewis. Well, Mr. President, you should be feeling very chipper today. Chipper? Why, friend? <laughs> well, you got rid of Lewis. That's what you wanted, wasn't it? Yes. His resignation was entirely voluntary as far as I was concerned. <laughs> Eh, well, we have to admit, sir, Senator Franks had a great deal to do with it. So it seems. But I still say Lewis would have resigned much sooner if he hadn't been forced into a defensive position. And even more important, Senator Franks, by antagonizing him, has undermined confidence in the whole administration. You see, Fred, I don't believe that he forced Lewis to resign just because of Lewis. Well, what do you mean, sir? That's one way of getting at me and my policies. Well, but if that's what he wanted to do, it didn't work out. As you said yourself, Lewis's resignation was purely voluntary, and he made it to you, not to Franks. That's the way it worked this time. I hope that uh, now that Lewis has resigned and he's out, Franks will leave me alone to deal with the rest of the cabinet my own way. But, Fred, I'm afraid he's going to try to keep the pot boiling. <laughs> Gentlemen, our score is now two down, one to go. The one to go is Attorney General Storm. Senator Franks, can't you leave the president alone, at least for a little while? Why, Harper? Well, don't you see the position you're putting the president in? He wants to get rid of Storm, too. I'm afraid I don't believe that, Harper. Here we have a man in the White House who ignores the Senate, who refuses its advice. Franks, you know the president has to ignore the Senate if it oversteps its authority. Not if he doesn't want to. In any case, I'm going to give him another chance. This afternoon, I'm going to present another resolution to the Senate, urging the immediate removal of Attorney General Storm. Have you any reason for the resolution, Senator? Yes, a very good one. Storm must be removed because, as Attorney General, he's refused to use the full force of his office in cases where his friends are under suspicion. See how the president answers that. Miss Sarah, I want this message uh, put in proper form and sent to the Senate. Yes, sir. Uh, gentlemen, I am regretfully compelled to reject your resolution calling for the removal of Attorney General Storm. Once again, you have overstepped the constitutional authority of the Senate, and you're trying to invade the office of the President of the United States. Senator Franks, do you have a statement for the press? Yes, I have. Gentlemen, you've all read the President's refusal to remove Attorney General Storm. He takes cowardly refuge in constitutional arguments, but his real meaning is plain. He will not remove a man who is not only a corrupt friend of the late president, but is a corrupt friend of his own. 
I predict that as long as Storm remains in the cabinet, the president stands convicted of complicity in all the scandals which are rocking the country today. Baxter, Baxter! Then it accuses president of defending corruption! I'm not afraid of that, Miss Sarah. The charge will fall of its own weight soon enough. What I'm wondering is how Storm will react to all this. He always struck me as a different type of man from Secretary Lewis. He might resign at once. That's my hope, Miss Sarah, and I've got an idea how I can hurry him a little. Ask him and Senator Harper to come and see me this evening, will you please? Together? They dislike each other thoroughly, don't they? That's just the point, Miss Sarah. Tell them at 9 p.m., please. Storm, I appreciate your coming here this evening. Mr. President, I don't quite understand Senator Harper's being present. You'll see. I know he's not as much of an enemy of mine as Senator Franks is, but I, I wouldn't call him my friend. Don't jump to the conclusion that I want to be here. The President invited me and I came. He'll have to tell us what he expects. Yeah, that's right, Storm. Now, we've got to, a delicate problem and there are certain things I want Fred to explain to you instead of doing it myself. But first, I want to know this. What's your feeling about Senator Frank's attack on you? It's an outrage. He has no real evidence against me, nothing but a desire to ruin my standing and reputation. You're not aware of any reason why you should resign, are you? Certainly not. What reasons could there be? That's what I want Fred to tell you. Will you, Fred? Well, well, uh, I don't quite understand. I want you to tell Storm what you and I have discussed between us. Oh, oh, uh, I see. Well, uh... Storm, you know, don't you, that Lewis's refusal to resign for so long was very embarrassing to the president? Why should Lewis have sacrificed himself at all? It wouldn't have looked like that if he'd offered to resign at the very beginning. Is, uh, is that what you want me to do, Mr. President? I'm only trying to find out exactly how you feel. Hmm. Well, go ahead, Senator. Well, you're in a position right now to save the president from a split in the administration. If you resign of your own accord. That that would make me look guilty of everything Franks is saying about me. All right, you can demand an investigation. Why should I even acknowledge the charge? I'll say it again to save the president to split in the administration. Oh. Now, I see what you're after, Mr. President. You want me to draw the lightning away from you. Not exactly, Storm. As long as I'm convinced you're not guilty of any Senator Franks' charges, I'll stand by you. Because you were chosen by my predecessor, and I don't want to repudiate him. In other words, if you're perfectly blameless... I will not remove you. I am perfectly blameless. But I also want you to realize what it costs me to stand by you. It means I run the risk of a split administration because Franks, right or wrong, carries tremendous weight in the country. But the Senate can't tell you what to do. Not legally. But you saw how Franks whipped up public opinion about Lewis until Lewis couldn't stand it. And the result of that was nothing good for anybody. Lewis had to resign after all. And I had to contend with the party fighting within itself. I've got a little more willpower than Lewis, Mr. President. I won't frighten as easily. Storm, wait a minute. Let me put the choice up to you in another way. Uh, check me if I'm wrong. Surely. Now, here's your choice. If there's the slightest chance of your having to resign at all, resign now. What do you mean, the slightest chance? Is there any substance whatever in Frank's charge that uh, you've avoided prosecuting certain cases because of the defendants are your friends? That is a lie. And Storm, will you be able personally to withstand the attacks that are going to be made against you and against me? I'm not afraid of speeches and newspapers. Mr. President, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. <laughs> Good morning, Senator Franks. Hello, Harper. Good to sit down. Yes, thank you. I, uh, I wanted to ask you a question, Senator. Certainly. Late yesterday afternoon, I met the chief investigator of your committee. He hinted that you found some evidence of real corruption on the part of Attorney General Storm. That's quite true, Harper. What are you going to do about it? Present it to our committee, to the public. Aren't you going to tell the president about it? He refused to take the advice of the Senate about Lewis. Why should I tell him about Storm It would now? be a generous gesture on your part. I don't follow you, Harper. You'll recall that the president explained to you what a difficult position he's been in. Well, he still is. I have very little faith in the president's real desire to get rid of Storm. Wait a minute. Let me tell you something in confidence, Senator Franks. He's been keeping Storm in the cabinet only on Storm's word of honor that there was no basis for any charges against him. Well, now, don't you see how it'll embarrass him to learn that Storm lied? <laughs> Will it indeed? Now, you listen to me, Harper. 
I'm not going to show any mercy to a man who's nearly wrecked the party. I'm going to bring Storm before our committee. After that, he'll be indicted and tried. Too late for the president to beg for mercy now. Mr. President, Senator Franks refuses to tell you any. Are you sure he's got any real evidence against Storm? Yes, sir, I am. Miss Sarah, sends for the Attorney General, please. Storm, you're looking at just about the angriest man you've ever seen in all your life. I don't know what you're talking about, Mr. President. I'll be happy to tell you. Earlier this evening, I learned that Senator Franks has serious evidence against you. It's going to the public record tomorrow before his committee. By tomorrow noon, it'll be in every newspaper in the country. Evidence? Franks is talking through his hat. I've never known him to do it before, Storm. Is any of that evidence true? Now, what evidence is it supposed to be? Honestly, I don't know. I want you to tell me. How can I? Storm... I've never known Senator Franks to be wrong in a matter like this, never. Now you can see what you've done and to me and to the administration. It was bad enough having to defend first Lewis and then you against attacks, but at least Lewis wasn't dishonest. Mr. President, be careful how you accuse me. I told you from the beginning I wouldn't tolerate unqualified men. I would never have chosen you myself, but as long as my predecessor had faith in you, I was willing to keep you in the cabinet. But not if there was the slightest doubt of your qualifications. I gave you two chances to resign, and you wouldn't. And I have no intention of resigning now. I refuse to make myself a victim of Senator Frank. Doesn't it mean anything to you that you're an embarrassment to this administration? If I am innocent, why does it? Even if you are innocent, the fact that you're an embarrassment ought to be enough for you. The late president didn't feel that way. Look here, Storm. I kept you in the cabinet because of him. And in spite of my personal feelings. But I warned you I'd never let you or anybody else abuse the confidence I was forced to show in you. Mr. President, as usual, you're over ready to convict a man before he's proven guilty. I'll leave it to the Senate committee to solve that question. Now, for the last time, I'm giving you a chance to resign voluntarily. And make myself look guilty? If you weren't guilty, you wouldn't be afraid. If you don't resign now, Storm, I'll remove you. That will make it look far worse. Mr. President, I refuse to be made a political victim. Good night, sir. Attorney General Storm, take the witness chair, please. Over here, Mr. Storm. Uh, Senator, I, I'd like to make a brief statement first. Farewell, Mr. Storm. I, I am no longer Attorney General of the United States. What? I, uh, I have resigned. <laughs> What in heaven's name made Storm resign after all? <laughs> you, Mr. President. Me? Mm-hmm. You're a talk with him. No, well, Fred, I did tell him just how I felt, but he didn't give an inch. Yeah, not only that, Mr. President, but what you said hit the mark. You see, he went home and he did some honest thinking about himself. He knew he had been guilty of misuse of funds and malfeasance of office. He knew what you would do when that was found out. So he had to take your advice. Well, I'm not surprised he couldn't face me with it, but I'm glad he had the decency to step out. <laughs> Mr. President... This letter's just come for you, sir. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. Huh. Well, listen to this, Fred. Hmm? It's from Franks. My dear Mr. President, may I express my admiration for the way in which you personally endured the abuse heaped upon you in the past weeks. Many another man could not have kept silent in the circumstances. Also, you have brought your administration through a crisis which might easily have destroyed public confidence in you. As you know, I did my best to get to the bottom of what seemed to be to me at least, an extremely grave situation. You may not have agreed with my methods, but I think you will agree with my purpose. I know about your meeting with Storm and your putting the decision up to him. Your very own unmistakable position forced his resignation. You accomplished with dispatch an objective we all desire. I think the next election will confirm the fact that we have survived the worst scandals 
any administration ever faced. Well, well sincerely yours. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty nice of the old boy at that, isn't it, sir? Oh, I think it's wonderful, Mr. President. You'll never have any trouble with him again. Uh, what did you say, Miss Sarah? Let me tell you something. When the day comes that there's no trouble between the White House and the Capitol, it'll mean there's something seriously wrong with the whole country. <laughs> All right. The next time we have a crisis, I'll remind you of that. Please do. In fact, right now, there's the tariff bill. Oh, no, no, not uh, now, Miss Sarah. No, certainly no. not now. Oh, definitely <laughs> no, Miss Sarah, not now. Good night, good night. Well, have you guessed which president this story happened to? The time was 1924, just after Warren Harding died and the Vice President, Calvin Coolidge, took over the presidency. It's often forgotten today that while the great oil scandals that rocked the country began while President Harding was alive, that it was President Coolidge who was faced with the problem of reconstructing the cabinet. Tonight, the man we called Lewis was really Secretary of the Navy, Denby, and the storm was in reality Harry Doherty, who, though found guilty by a Senate committee, was later set free after a court trial. Come in and see me next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you about the White House and Mr. President I'm sure you'll enjoy. Good night. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy Show. We feature old-time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website, at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old-time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy Show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y and Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y.com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy show. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy show at RileyandKimmy.com.